0: United States Institute of Peace, along with SiriusXM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Don Jensen is joining us from Washington. He is a senior advisor focusing on Russia and Europe at the U.S. Institute of Peace. He was stationed at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow back in the early 1990s when the breakup of the Soviet Union took place, and he is a longtime U.S. diplomat. Don Jensen, thank you very much for being with us.
1: Well, thank you for having me. That 90s assignment seems a long time ago now.
0: Time goes by so quickly. Let me begin first on Sweden's entry into NATO And what do you think was the tipping point for President Erdogan? Certainly those F-16 fighter jets that the U.S. is now going to provide Turkey, I think might have sweetened the pot for the Turkish government.
1: Well, I certainly think that it did. I think that the relationship with Sweden appears to be improving as well on trade and and on the other issues that were separating uh, both sides. But, you know, I I think we have to look also at what's going on in Moscow. And I think uh, Erdogan who likes to zigzag and kind of tilt one way and the other, despite his NATO membership. I think he sees Putin, is not on the ropes, Putin is weakened. And I think he sees now that it's going to be better to stay with the winning side or the side that has the strong advantage for the moment. And that's certainly Ukraine and NATO, because I think I think that the whole uh, pre uprising really hurt, hurt Putin a lot. The second thing I would mention about Turkey is, of course, the prisoner return of those those guys who are supposed to stay in Turkey per the agreement with Moscow, but they are going to go back to Ukraine as they should. And again, that's a second thing in a few days which shows that the Erdogan is leaving toward the West and not to Moscow.
0: So if you could explain something to me, we talked to David Andelman, who writes for CNN and his Substack uh, that is available as well. He's a longtime author and journalist. And yesterday we were yeah. talking about President Erdogan saying that they will not allow Sweden to become a member of NATO until Turkey is part of the European Union. And then a complete flip flop just a few hours later. What was behind that?
1: I think indeed that was behind. What was behind that is not only what I just said, but what you said, which is the sweetening of the pot. You know, we have to separate out the negotiations by timeline and all that kind of thing. And while I personally have no doubt that at the end of the day, Turkey would let them go in, I think Erdogan was holding up the best deal he could. He got a pretty good deal, frankly, on several things that the West had been uh, the, the rest of the West had been on unwilling to give him. So I think he, he got the best deal he could. He realized that. And again, the strategic balance is moving away from Moscow. So he did the Putin thing. And for him, I, it was far more rational, I think, and sensible than sometimes we see him to be there. You
0: know, we've talked about historic, significant, but it does seem that this has been a very important meeting. Again, it's only day one, another day tomorrow, that communique that will be released. President Zelensky is in Vilnius. Uh, but this could be a turning point for the war in Ukraine, could it not?
1: It could indeed. and I, I think and everybody has been focused this morning on the, the tweet that Zelensky made about absurd and that kind of thing. But, but again, that's his frustration. He is leading a country at war. But frankly, I think the NATO uh, position, as we've seen in the communique, has been also a movement toward Ukrainian mission. Sure, everybody in Kiev and elsewhere, including many people in Washington, want a more definite, timeline but I think this is most definitely a, a step forward when you're waiving the membership action plan you're pledging more assistance we saw the French are going to get cruise missiles this morning uh, you, you, you're, you're talking about a Ukraine sooner or later more likely in a medium term meaning a few years'll be in, in in NATO I think I have no doubt about that and this is just partly just the difficulty of getting 30 plus nations with different perspectives, different security uh, interests, all on board a common position. This is an organization, an alliance that has Hungary on the one hand, but also Estonia. And there will mark to be different positions. But I think what we see in the, in the communique is not surprising. I understand the Ukrainian desire for more uh, specificity, but they're going in the right direction. I think the Ukrainians should focus on that. It's, it's good for them and it will happen. Maybe next year, maybe the
0: year after, but it will happen. Yeah. And Don Jensen, just to look at the arc of all of this, because I covered the Bush White House, the George W. Bush White House, and it was the 43rd president who said, yes, it is time for Ukraine to become a member of NATO. Of course, that didn't happen then for a number of reasons, and now this war could fast-track that
1: plan. You're absolutely right. I think uh, President Bush said the right thing i think everybody wants ukraine and nato and frankly for all the uh, i don't want to call it squabbling but let's say the discussion in the past few days here in washington everybody knows that this is going to happen at the end of the day if you look at the public opinion polls americans are still strongly behind supporting ukraine and that was not something people expected six months or a year ago there's no sign of the u.s a public being tired of supporting Ukraine. It's the right thing to do, and Americans realize that. So I think this is going in the right direction. We're all sort of frustrated maybe by the the vagueness of the uh, assurance, uh, maybe the timeline, but either way, everybody knows this is going to happen. And I think when you combine this with the significantly enhanced assistance package, military assistance that the Ukraine is going to come out of this meeting with, I think it's in large part going to be seen as a another step forward, and that's what everybody wants to see.
0: But let me follow up on that point, and again, remind our listeners, we're talking to Donald Jensen. He is a senior advisor focusing on Russia and Europe at the U.S. Institute of Peace, a veteran diplomat. He was in Moscow in the early 90s when the Soviet Union broke up. And over the weekend, Martha Raddatz over at ABC News, traveling to Kiev and sitting down with President Zelensky, there are it's a small but vocal group, especially on Capitol Hill, some Republicans saying enough is enough, no more aid to Ukraine. Again, it's not a majority, but the president of Ukraine was asked about that.
1: What would you say to those Americans who say, we've given enough, we, we, we have our own problems, we can't continue to do that?
0: I would like to say thank you to all Americans for what you have done and I appreciate those who say that you've done enough trust me no matter what I appreciate help when it comes to the word enough well we Ukrainians are not people known for excessive appetites our victory is enough for us honestly when we have enough for our victory then it will be enough Donald Jensen, again, that through a translator, the president of Ukraine over the weekend on ABC News. He is in Lithuania on this Tuesday. Your reaction?
1: Well, I, I, I agree with the president, and I also agree with the, Ms. Raditz asking the question. I think we have to follow very closely, as I said a moment ago, the trend of U.S. public opinion. The polls were down a bit for Ukraine, but still very supportive among the U.S. Uh, US voters, maybe late spring. Now they're back up. Americans see what's going on. They see that this is not a fight just about Ukraine and Russia. This is about a fight about the security of the Western world, the European alliance, and ultimately U.S. foreign policy. And I think it's notable that some of the people who criticize the assistance here in D.C., that voice has gone down a little bit. Because I think both parties, by a large majority, uh, Speaker Ryan, the Democrats, they all support Giving, as, as the Biden administration would say, give them what as long as it takes and what it takes, and that's what we're seeing right now. So uh, if Putin takes takes uh, some uh, support from what he hopes will be the West breaking up over this issue or the U.S. becoming less supportive, there's very little evidence to support that. And I would note that the French and Germans, who a year ago everybody was worried about, and the Italian government are all now strongly in Ukraine's corner. Bringing it around to Vilnius, this is this, these are the discussions that a large alliance, which requires unanimity, always has. And what's happening is that they come to a consensus about Ukraine being in NATO, and it will be in NATO. Even if everybody, including the president of Ukraine, doesn't always agree about some of the particular issues, we all know that this is going in the right direction, and that's as it should be.
0: Which nobody could have predicted a, a year and a half, two years ago. This, these fast-moving developments on the on the world stage. Don, I want to go back to an earlier point because you were talking about uh, the Wagner Group and Prigozhin. We do know from the reporting uh-huh. yesterday at CNN and the Washington Post that Putin met with Prigozhin back on June 29th. You understand Russia. You understand the mindset of Vladimir Putin. What was going through his mind during that short-lived uprising and? Was that a significant moment for Vladimir Putin and for his
1: military? Oh, it most certainly was. There's A lot of things going on, all of which go to one point, which is that Putin is now weaker than anybody in the West thought he would be two months ago. The Wagner Group has been funded by the Kremlin. The Wagner Group has ties all through the Russian military and military intelligence. And if you look at some of these I was going to say characters, but let me call them officers, generals, who are around Putin. A lot of them have, have had ties with, with Prigozhin. Plus, there's a lot of money involved here. So whatever the deal meant on the end of June when they hit it, Robert is still running around all over the place. Prigozhin's in St. Petersburg. He's in Moscow. He thought he was going to be in Belarus. This is not a good time for Putin. Things are starting to unravel. He does not. Now know who to trust. There are all these security institutions around him. A lot of them have ties to Wagner. A lot of them sympathize with Wagner, sympathize with Prigozhin, and now he doesn't know what what to do. I think he's trying to spread the spread the risk, as they say here. Uh, the people doing the investigation of the anti-Kremlin, pro-Wagner the military generals. There's a new group because I don't think Putin can trust the FSB their security services, who let the troops go halfway to Moscow. He doesn't know who to trust. And in that system where authority is so personalized, so intensely seen as vested in the president, when you show weakness, you're in deep trouble. I don't know whether that will play out in a week or a month or a year, but it will never be the Putin we thought of on June 1st or May 1st. It is now, I think, Such a regime a, yeah. that has markedly different character
0: such an important point. So let me drill down just a bit further. If you were in that room on June 29th with Putin and the Wagner group, including Prigozhin, because as you and I both know, Putin has been one, and we don't wish ill will on anyone, but he's been one to, you know, uh, poison and kill his enemies. That doesn't seem to be the case right now. Explain.
1: Well, we don't know for sure. I think everybody thinks, and probably I would agree, that uh, Pergorson should watch his back and stay away from hotel windows. But there's two <laughs> points to keep in mind here. One is what I just said, which is that there's a lot of people around Putin who sympathize with Pergorson. He must know that. I'm sure he knows that. Uh, that's number one. Number two goes in the other direction, which is that this likely, may, this likely will be tried by other groups in the country as well. There are a lot of armed bands, not just the Chechens, running around the Russian Federation. The Gazprom Oil Company, for example, has a private army. And now Putin can no longer be sure who's doing what. And again, it's it's a a time I would not want to be around the Kremlin because everybody, I'm sure, and I've seen social media comment about it, is pointing the finger at other people. And that is a very dangerous situation for Putin. And it's also something we've seen, I saw personally in '91 during the coup in Moscow, most people sit on the fence, and as we saw two weeks ago, a lot of the military didn't respond very quickly. They wanted to see how it would come out. So you've got the guys conspiring around Putin with varying loyalties, varying allegiances, some uncertain, but you've got the rank and file of the military, I think, which is not really convinced that they want to go to bat. If I can use the all-star name reference, go to bat for this guy, Putin. And that's why you see so much fog around everything because people are readjusting, realigning, reassessing where their money is, reassessing whether their colleagues can be trusted. That's all going on at once behind the scenes of a very bloody war. And, of course, ultimately this will affect the Russian performance in the field because the boys who fight for Russia in Donbass or Kherson, they now know that, A, when they turn around, the Russian army and the rest of it may not have their back, and B... A, a crazy bandit uh, thief who marched his guys 600 kilometers into the, into the Russian Federation. And I would remind you that in the spring that we had numerous band raids from the Ukrainian side into Russia. So, again, the message to a Russian citizen at large is, well, Putin's the president, but he no longer can even guarantee our personal safety. And that's what I think the Ukrainians wanted all along by these guerrilla raids, by these attacks on oil, there. So the whole facade of the Putin regime, which was seen to be unified under a tough guy, is now under question. And again, in Russian history and in Soviet history, and I think today, that is not going to be good for Putin in the long term.
0: Donald Jensen, he had a seat at the table during some of the most significant negotiations involving the START Treaty and the INF. He serves as a senior advisor on Russia and Europe at the U.S. Institute of Peace. And thanks for the reminder. It is All-Star Week, American League or National League. Will you be watching?
1: I am. I'm a baseball historian and work at the Hall of Fame, and I love it. Did you really? I love it. Yeah, but I'm still giving over the, uh, the guy on Cincinnati stealing home plate the other day. That's not an antidote to excessive home run derbies I don't know what, what would be. Give me a Jackie oh, okay. Robinson of this impressive young guy stealing home. I'll take that any time.
0: Hey, a note to Nate Sweet. We'll have you come back on to talk baseball, not uh, foreign policy. How many times have you been to Cooperstown?
1: Uh, I go there every year. I'm uh, an active and saver, which is the baseball research organization. I edit my own baseball magazine. and uh, About the dead right. ball era with tobacco chewers and i go about once a year i try to at least
0: okay so a lot of controversy still about why cooperstown the baseball hall of fame defended if you would
1: <laughs> well it was certainly not invented there but it's a wonderful charming town even when the weather is awful which is very frequent
0: don jensen hey thanks so much for being with us greatly appreciated. appreciate it you. appreciate your My time pleasure. My pleasure.